I don't, I don't know how your home works. Uh, for a lot of you, uh, you've received this. For all of us, we've probably done it. Uh, but our boys, uh, when they want something, they choose which parent they go to. Right? Six-year-olds are really smart. They figured some stuff out. Uh, there are things now, Ray knows if that has anything to do with Swedes, she's not getting talked to. They're coming straight to me uh, because I am more likely, uh, right, to say yes, most of it because I don't really care because I'm not a good parent. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But um, <laughs> so they will go to Ray who's actually thinking about like, you know, their health and, you know, things that matter. Uh, and so, you know, for them, they're like, hey, dad, can we have a kick at him? I'm like, as long as you bring me one, right? And so with Ray, she's like, no, your dentist said this and we've got to pay attention, right? So, so they've got their system worked out. So they know, uh, I don't know if you've ever had this or if you've done this, what they also know is if they go to mom or me and I say no, they're like, well, 50-50 shot, we could try the other one and see what they have to say, right? Uh, and so they wheel over to mom or, or their dad, whichever one they didn't talk to first, and kind of, you know, and they're, like, they should be selling cars. They're really good at this, right? So they're, they're already like, hey, so, you know, um, right? And they kind of put, put on the sauce. And, uh, and so all of a sudden, we're in this spot, and to be completely honest, because we're in church, usually Ray uh, is the one of wisdom, and I'm the one that just, I don't care, whatever, right? And so uh, what I find out is when I say yes, Ray's like, well, I told them no. I'm like, no committee came to me and shared your decision. And so I just went free. Now I look crazy, right? And so we're trying to wheel through all this. And here's my point, right, uh, is uh, I, I hate getting ganged up on and set up by a bunch of elementary age boys. We're going to do an altar call, and I'm done. No, I'm kidding. No, there's more. Uh, right? Um, last week, right, to the point where one of the boys told the other one, mom said we could, right, and then fill in the blank with whatever. The hard part is she didn't actually say that. They just skipped the whole asking part, came up with a story of what they wanted us to say, and told the other ones like it was true, this is what we're going to do, right? The problem is they never asked, and mom never said that. Uh, they're always trying to figure out how to get one of us to say what they want to hear so that they can do what they want to do. And our prayer life can be the exact same way, right? When we're asking God for things, where we will assume that he said something or that he wants something, and we will live as though he's just given us a blank check permission to live uh, how we want or to do what we want, uh, in a lot of ways, we almost have come up to believe a story that we uh, can just do uh, and act however we want to. In John 17, we find that Jesus is praying for, and it gives us permission to ask the same things. We already know what Jesus is asking God to say yes to. And so as we open up and we're in this, uh, uh, this section of, of teaching and prayer that Jesus is walking with his disciples from the upper room into the garden, what we find is in there at the last, uh, the last section, that John chapter 17, it's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. And in there we find so much. What, what we get a window into is what is Jesus praying for for his disciples? What is he praying for for his followers? What, what kinds of things, uh, think about it this way, what kinds of things do we need prayed over by the Savior? Uh, what are the things that God, or Jesus felt it necessary to go to the Father on our behalf and pray for us. Now, I want us to read this together, so if you don't mind standing, we're going to read John chapter 17, verse 13 through 19.
Jesus prayed this, but now I come to you, right? Jesus is saying I'm coming to the Father. And these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. You do not ask, I do not ask you to take them out of the world but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Father, would you, would you bring us to your word? Would you help us understand not um, uh, this passage that we read in Scripture is a prayer out of the lips of Jesus. Father, would you align our hearts to understand why we need prayed over for these things? But also, would you, would you move us to pray with Jesus in these areas? Uh, Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You could have a seat. A couple weeks ago, Pat preached in John chapter 16 uh, and led us through this phrase that has been misconstrued so many times that sometimes we got to go back and remember what it is. John chapter 16, verse 23, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. And so uh, Pat did a phenomenal job reminding us of this, is that doesn't mean that if you just utter the words in my name as though it's some spell or incantation that that will make it work, that instead of just tagging it on as the caboose to whatever uh, prayer you just prayed, what it is is that we're praying in, in, in the reputation, in the character, in the things that Jesus would want, that we are aligning our prayer life with that of what God wants. You get it? Not that God would do whatever we're asking, but that we would start praying for whatever God is asking. And here, what I want us to read as we are continuing through John 17 in this prayer, is we get to find out, we get to read what Jesus is asking. We don't have to guess how we could or should be praying. Jesus is showing us and telling us what he's praying for. I think it's crazy to think about this. Uh, John, who was walking with Christ right, was in the upper room with him, walks with him to the Garden of Gethsemane, is writing this stuff, if we're thinking about it this way, the reason it's recorded in John's gospel, he was there. My, my thought is this, is unless there was some supernatural, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, translation out of Jesus' mind, he was probably praying out loud. So the disciples could not just be prayed for, but they could be prayed over that they would hear the things that Jesus prayed. And here comes John, probably decades later. Wouldn't you remember what Jesus prayed over your life? And he records it. So we know what Jesus is praying for as we're reading this. We don't have to wonder how to pray in Jesus' name in this area. We get to read how Jesus has already prayed, and we need to align our prayers to what Jesus is praying. John chapter 17 verse 13 he says but now i'm coming to you and these things i speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves there's your reason why is jesus saying this 
These things Jesus is about to say are the things he's already said. Why is he saying it? So that we would be filled to the measure that Jesus was filled with joy. I don't know what world you live in. There is enough things and there are enough people that can steal joy. Jesus isn't one of them. He's actually speaking so we could be filled with joy. In fact, he's saying, I'm saying these things out into the world so that the fullness of joy that's in him would be full in you. So the qualifying question comes, how filled are you with joy? What is the overflow of that in your life? Look back at the last, not, not the church answer. We all answer really good on Sundays. Take a seven-day evaluation and go back. How full of joy were you on Thursday? What about Friday? What did Monday evening look like for you? How was Tuesday? Were you filled with the fullness to the same measure that Jesus is filled with joy? Mind you, this is the same Jesus uh, that knows that he's about to get ratted out by one of these 12 guys he's called to follow him. Same Jesus that's asking these brothers to stay awake and watch guard over him while he goes in to pray and they fall asleep. The same Jesus who's about to be arrested, beaten, crucified by the world he came to save is saying, I've said all this so that we could have joy. He's walking in joy as he's walking to his death. And sometimes we think the death around us or even the death in us is more powerful than the joy that Jesus has to bring. So when Jesus says, I've come to speak all this, so you'd be filled to that measure of joy. What I want us to ask is, are we filled with the word of God enough to where that joy is evident and prevailing in our life? Where are you missing joy? Because it's possible that those may be the places that you're missing Jesus. We could take a look at this section of prayer from Jesus and discover how you could be praying for what Jesus has prayed for and what he wants for us to pray. And how do we have Jesus' joy made full in us? Qualifier, this is the fullest extent of joy we'll ever face. We could have other things that make us happy in momentary, uh, temporary moments. But to have this lasting joy that sustains uh, through hard times and troubles, through high points and valleys, through joy and persecution, that, that there's a joy that flows through that that is available to us. The question for us is, how do we perceive the word of God? How do we take it in? Some of us know too much and there's too little joy. So at some end, the issue may not even be education. It may be the metabolizing of the word in us so that it comes out through us. I want us to look at, if we pray this prayer with Jesus, what do we do? The first thing is this. Pray for a joy-filled perspective. Pray, pray that God would give you eyes to see so that if, you're, if, if you look out and you, it's hard for you to look out and have joy. Jesus wasn't that way. So there may be something in us that needs to shift. I love he gives us a little bit of perspective. Too often in the Christian life, we can get caught up in what we see without considering if there may be a defect in how we're seeing it. Does that make sense? Is there an issue 
of pride when we assume that we're right, as Jesus is praying, there's a perspective he's inviting us into. He says this, chapter 17, verse 14, I have given them, remember he's praying, so he's talking to the Father, I have given them your word. Right? Receive it this way. We've been given God's word. And he goes on and says this, as the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We've been given the world, sorry, we've been given the word, and because of that, the world has hated. First, there's a definitive statement here that we can't miss where he says, I've given them your word. Everything God wants us to know, Jesus said. There's stuff that God knows that he didn't send Jesus to say. I love even at the end of the Gospel of John, he says, if I were to include everything that ever happened, there wouldn't be enough volumes in the world to contain it. So even with what we've got, right, as John's writing his Gospel, right, we're we're getting the stuff that we need to have. Jesus says, "I've, I've shared everything you gave me to share. I've held nothing back. I haven't uh, twisted or contorted anything. This is the honest, straightforward truth. We have what we need to have. Not parts of his word, not some of his word, or sections of his word. Jesus came as the word and then preached the word. And when we receive the word of God, it does a few things. When, when we receive the word, it's through the word of God that we are born again. First Peter 1.23 says, Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. All flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flowers of the grass. Grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news of Christ. Sorry, in this good news that was preached to you. The word also generates faith. In Romans chapter 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Because God's truth has been spoken out, that's how we can trust. That's how we can give uh, uh, this confident belief in. is because God's spoken it. Uh, the word feeds our life. Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone. Remember, this is the temptation Jesus is rebuttaling. Man shall not live by bread alone, but instead we should live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is what sustains us, feeds us, and drives us. The word helps us see and guides us. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet, and it is a light unto my path. The Word is the ultimate and absolute truth. John 17, 17, which we've read before and we'll read it again, says your Word is truth. The Word awakens and it strengthens. Psalm 119, he says, you are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your Word. So when Jesus says, I've given you, I've given them your Word, this is what he's given us. It's not nothing. And sometimes we miss the power in it. When we're reminded of it, it comes back. But on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, sometimes you can read your Bible verse for the day on your app. Sometimes you can read three to four chapters a day, whatever your reading plan is. Sometimes we can go through seasons void of the word at all, and we wonder why we're tired, defeated, crushed, and struck down. 
Because he gave us it so that we would have joy. And when we've got the word and we're in the word and the word is in us and it's working its way through us and it's coming out of us, all of a sudden we start to see there is a joy that floods. Why? Because we've, we've known of our salvation because of God's word. We've been fed because of God's word. We've been given direction in life because of God's word. We know what it looks like when it comes out so we can't stand but to get more in. John 17 says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We need to understand and really get the purpose and the joy of the fact that Jesus says, I've given them your word. So church, hear it. You've been given his word. You've got it. And we will run with whatever theologian or, or preacher uh, or whatever uh, author we like. They come up with a new book, and we rush for it because we want to hear what they have to say. A new podcast drops or a new teaching happens, and we'll run towards it. And we've got the Word of God, and we seldom crack the binding. And He's given it to us. And instead of sitting before God in His Word and letting Him have His way in us, we will hear everyone's iterations of it, translations of it, uh, 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 application of it, instead of just hearing, what does God have for me right now, today? Because of Jesus, we have God's word, and the word that doesn't, and the world that doesn't have the word hates those of us who have it, because we are no longer of this world, just like Jesus isn't. There's something different in us because we've got the word of God. And the world hates it. So how do we have a joy-filled perspective while living in a world that hates those of us that have Jesus and his word? Our joy is this, that once we were lost, but now we're found. We were once blind, but now we see. Does that give you joy? The hating world needs a powerful word. Uh, what they don't need is to clean up their act. We've tried that. It doesn't get us to heaven. They don't need to be better people that do better things. We've tried that. It doesn't work for us either. What they need is a powerful word from God that has the ability to do things you and I cannot do. So the good news is this. They don't need you. They need him. What they need you to do is get them to him. Reveal him. Witness to him. Show him. All we have to do is show them our life transformed by the word of God and actually share the word of our testimony. And that's where the wheels fall off because listening to radio programs and buying books is so much easier. God, would you work? Would you show me? Would you reveal? God, would your word speak to me so that it comes out through me and it does a work in me so that the life I live only gives glory to you because of what you've done, not because of what we've done. What brings joy back into our lives lived around a lost world that hates us is that it's to begin asking God to open the eyes of our hearts. We want to see God and see like God so that the world, so that we can look at the world around us according to his word. One of the things that helps us isn't where it's, and we talked about this before, where it's us versus them. We're saved and they're not, so we know what they don't. And so we're over here and they're over there, and I wish they just knew how to live this godly life and they don't. That's not the posture of Jesus. It's to be so filled with the word that we see a world that only hates us because we've got, we've, we've, it's been revealed. We know it. 
We got the word, and they hate us because we're not of this world anymore. Would we have the love that Jesus has to look at that world in the same perspective that Jesus has when he entered into it, knowing that if God could do it for me, that he could do it for them by his word? The second one is this. Let's pray with Jesus. Let's pray for a joy-filled posture. Now, I played football in high school, and some of you played sports uh, in football, there are different stances based off what that position needs to do and how that player needs to respond to the opposition in front of them. Out of the 11 guys on a field, if you watch, if you're not familiar, uh, uh, enjoy the holy moment of Sunday afternoons uh, where 22 men gather and just beat the trash out of each other and try to score points, right? But as you're watching, here's what you'll see, is out of those 11 people, there will be people standing in postures that are different based off what they need to do and what they know is coming at them, right? A wide receiver is gonna stand in a position because they need to take off running fast, so they need to be upright but in an athletic stance, but they also need to be prepared because there's an opposition that has a plan against them. A lineman is going to be down as low as they can get because they need to explode with power and they need to take off because the person across from them is going to do the same thing. And they need to be able to manipulate them based off what they need to do. A quarterback is going to be standing back or standing up a little bit. They need to have a perspective that sees over everything. A left guard doesn't need to see everything. A quarterback does, so they're in different stances. So that when it's game time, they're thinking about what they need to do, but also being aware of what the opposition's going to do. Jesus is praying for our posture or our stance. How do we stand based on what we're called to do and to respond to the opposition in front of us? John 17, 15 says this, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Sit on that one for a minute. But to keep them away from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. This was Jesus' chance to say this, Father, bring them with me, uh, let's just be over with it already. But he doesn't. Not asking God to keep us from the world, but to keep the ruler of the world from us. Can we look at it this way? God wants us in the world, but is praying against the world getting into us. You get it? God has a purpose in our place. We are so used to seeing people move based off what we want, what we're comfortable with, where we want to be, rather than where God has placed us amongst the world to be in the world, but not of the world. And our prayer is that God keeps the evil one from us, not to make our lives easier, but to be planted in the world for more fruitfulness. Some of us have been praying this all wrong. Uh, the MSV, which we'll call the me standard version, right, of this prayer, oftentimes looks something more like this. God, I'm asking you to take me away from these people and to bless my life. But if we pray in Jesus' name, the problem is, in that kind of prayer, and I know those may not be the words we use, but oftentimes it aligns pretty well with where our heart's at is if God answers that prayer, we get glory. But when Jesus says, Ivan, I'm not asking you to pull them out of the world. In fact, I'm asking you to keep them. What I'm asking for is that you keep the evil one from them. Get that? 
Jesus knows there is a feeling of joy when our posture or stance is correct. We want to be uh, faithful to being salt and light in this world. I'm asking when we pray this, we are asking God to keep us from the evil one and to be reminded that we are not of this world just like Jesus isn't. Third one is this. If we're to pray with Jesus, pray for a joy-filled position. The place where you're at. Last year, uh, we got to travel with some friends to Orlando, Florida, and it was a huge blessing for our family. I've never been before, and it takes a lot to be able to enjoy Orlando. Some of you pray to go to Florida. That is, that is my Nineveh, right? I don't want sunburnt, I don't want sweat, and I don't want Florida people. I want, I want, I want cold, right? I'm a polar bear, that's how I roll. What you look when you go to Orlando, right, is this, parents saving money to pay the cost, planning to make the most of every minute, making sure everyone gets to see everything so the family can have an incredible, memorable time together. One of the worst things to watch in Orlando was the kids who didn't know or didn't care what it took to get them where they were, right? Thankfully, our boys were not some of them. That was helpful, right? I don't think. Maybe there's some family like those boys, right? <laughs> but all the work and all the effort and all the cost and everything it took, and oftentimes what we get is they didn't care what it took to get them there or how much was paid so they can be there. They were whining and crying, grumpy, complaining, unimpressed. It wasn't good enough. I think Jesus is praying against situations he knew how easily you and I would fall into. Like kids at Universal Studios, too often we lose sight of where we are in Christ and what it took to get us there and where we're going in him. We too often live dismissive of what it took to get us where we are in him and too easily don't care how much was paid to get us there. Whether it's who's in office or where we live or the people around us or our jobs or money issues or unmet expectations or whatever else. Rather than exuding the fruit of the Spirit, we are standing redeemed from a world and delivered from the death we deserve, standing in our sanctified position of being holy before God and the world finds us just like them, whining and crying and grumpy and complaining and sometimes unimpressed, just like the dead, lost world we've been saved out of. We don't look like people who've been radically redeemed out of our death and into a life abundant of joy. We look like people who theologically believe we're saved, but dispositionally we kind of act like everybody else. As Jesus is literally walking towards his arrest, he is praying that God would sanctify us to make us holy, set apart, consecrated. To be sanctified is a definitive status or a position. We have, through the shed blood and death of Jesus, where we become uh, set apart as holy. In theological talk, we will talk about sanctification as a progressive process where our submission and the Holy Spirit's power work in our lives to transform us into Christ's likeness in our day-to-day -day lives. Jesus here is praying for that sanctification where we're no longer here, but we get to stand here. We get to be in a different place. We get to stand in a different position. One we didn't earn and one we don't deserve, but because of God and his love for us, it's possible. 
John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. The word of God is true. James says it's like looking into a mirror. It doesn't show you what you want to look like, unless you spend a lot of money on Amazon, right? It shows you the absolute and ultimate truth about what you actually look like. If you can think about it this way, too often, uh, and this is the culture we live in, is what we're looking for is social media filters that alter our appearance so we look how we want, rather than a mirror that shows us what we really are. Where the word shows up and what sanctifies us is to see who we actually are, is to see the qualities and characteristics of who we actually are, to see our heart for what it really is, to look at our life for what's honestly there. The world's issue with God's word is not just what it says. The problem is what it causes us to confront in ourselves. When we see things, all of a sudden, we see the blemishes. Uh, We see the stuff that doesn't look so good. We see that there's a little bit more than one chin, right? (laughs) I got a witness. You know what I'm saying? When we get into the word, what we find is we see us for who we really are. Jesus says, your word is truth. John 17, 19, he says, and for their sake I sanctify myself so they themselves may also be sanctified in truth. Jesus is setting himself apart for the Father's work, and the result of that, the cross, allows us to be sanctified in truth because Jesus led first, and he went before us, and he sanctified If Jesus doesn't do that, we have no hope. Jesus sanctifies himself, he consecrates himself, he sets himself aside for God's purposes, and because he did that within hours after praying this, we have hope at being sanctified as well. On the cross, Jesus positions his life consecrated for the Father so that we could be put in us a position or a status of being made new, holy, consecrated, set apart. Would you pray that joy would fill you to overflowing with the spiritual position because of Jesus' death on the cross? When you are frustrated and forget where you stand because of Jesus, remember that he died so that you could be set apart as holy and live in the overflowing joy of your new life. Last one is this, if we're praying this with Jesus, is to pray for a joy-filled purpose. With so many people looking to find their purpose in their work, in their income, in their marriage, in their parenting, in their status in society, in their circumstances, in their self-righteousness, what we find is we need to be reminded of the purpose that Jesus has given us. John 17, 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We aren't taking up space We are not idly waiting to die for Jesus to come get us. Jesus has commissioned us into a purpose to go. Jesus was sent on a mission, and so are we. Jesus said he came to do this. He came to fulfill the law. He came to call sinners to repentance. He came to proclaim good news. He came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to do what the Father wants. He came for the sake of judgment. He came to give the abundance of life, and he came to bear witness to the truth. Jesus knew why he was here, and every moment of his life was lived according to it. Jesus then develops 
and he equips people as disciples and sends us into the same world that he was sent into to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to teach others to obey everything that we've been commanded to do, to be his ambassadors until he returns. How do we do with that? At the purpose, where we, where we engage the lost world that we've been saved out of, been, pla- been placed into. How do we do that? We stay in the vine so that through the Spirit we can bear fruit. It's we stay connected to Jesus. That's how we do it. Uh, Not just learning more information, but letting it sink into our souls so that it comes out of our lives so that we become not just uh, people who know about him, we become uh, people that are this lamp with the light in it so when people look at us, all they see is this light of Christ. Because it's been true for us, and we've seen it, and it's transformed us. Maybe we aren't filled with joy because we're not living into our joy-filled purpose. Uh, I ran across this phrase months ago. I wrote it down because I have to think about it often. Is this, is we aren't called to fake disciples, we're called to make disciples. The point, the guy was getting to was this. Sometimes we fake discipleship. We learn a lot. Uh, We surround ourselves with the right books. We go to the right conferences. We learn all the right things. We know how to say the right stuff, right? But oftentimes we're not making disciples. Uh, Another way to think of it, I've heard of it as this, is uh, we're like fishermen who have all the tackle boxes. We've been to REI. We've got the gear, right? The vest that you're supposed to have, uh, the the hat that looks like a fisherman would wear, like 14 fishing poles for like one fish that you're not even going to catch, right? You got a tackle box full of gear and equipment. You, You know how every fish works and where they're at and how it all happens, but never throw a line in the pond. Get it? Is there's a mission we've been sent into, and we're almost so educated about the mission field that we forget that we're supposed to be in it. Jesus says, I've sent them. So you've sent me, so I am sending them. You are sent. Jesus prays for our sending, so know that when you pray for God to send you, you're praying in Jesus' name. To your neighbors, your friends, your families, your co-workers. God, would you send me? God, would you show me someone? God, whose life are you working in where I could cooperate with what you're already doing? God, how could you use me to do this? God, how would you use my life to open up? Not where we shrink back and find our own people and get comfortable, but where we take that light and move it into the dark places so that people can see Christ through his church. Some of us are too much in the world or we still have too much of the world in us. John chapter 17, verse 13, it says, I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. If you were to go back to the Old Testament, uh, we encountered King David. Actually, when, before we encountered King David, we just encounter this young preteen guy named David who's out in the fields, he's not positioned in his family to be someone that gets used. He's not someone who uh, has had enough life experience behind them to have a proven track record of what he could do and how he could be used for anything. But he does have something uh, that his other brothers didn't. Uh, He has the anointing of the Lord. 
He's been chosen, he's been looked at, he's been seen, and so he gets used. And once, in 1 Kings, we read of this, sorry, 1 Samuel, we read of this passionate, devoted, faith-filled young man that was anointed to be king over Israel, one, that faithful army leader that was deeply loved by his people and had the favor of God with him. But there's also like a second part of David's life. Once he became king, there were things in his life that stopped. He became lazy and selfish and often arrogant. He abused his power. And as pride certainly comes before the fall, David fell hard. Think about it this way. He finally got to the position that he'd been waiting for and stopped living with purpose. And some of us, We've been redeemed, we've been saved, we are not in this world, or not of this world, we are currently in this world. And now that we've got this position, sometimes we just get a little, we get a little lazy. Uh, the mission field of, of, of praying and loving on our neighbors and our family and our friends and our coworkers, of loving on those who hate us because we've got the word. We get lazy with it. Uh, there's things in there that we stop pressing into and we stop dealing with. Pride can start to creep in. But don't forget, like David, pride comes before the fall. And there's that one day where he's looking out over his terrace and he sees Bathsheba. And you know how the rest of the story goes. If you don't, read your Bible. There's a moment that happens in David's life where everything comes falling down. And the hard part is, in that moment, it probably didn't feel like it. But it was watching the days and the weeks and the months and the years that happen afterwards that you see this erosion that started. We don't know how long it took from that time with Bathsheba until the time where his friend confronts him. Could have been days, could have been years. But in David's repentant cry out to the Lord, when he realizes what he's done and he's seen the destructive ways of his life, when he sees that joy, not just for him, but for those around him, has been gone. In that prayer, as David sees his life crumbled, what could have been what used to be gone. And what is now is kind of a shell of that anointed kid that we saw in, in, in 1 Samuel where he wasn't worried to go charge into battle with Goliath, where he was willing to take armies into battle. He had full trust, full faith, ready to go. Lord, wherever you send me, I will go. He was ready for it. And then all of a sudden, we see this guy who's rich, surrounded by servants and people and women and money, and he's a shell of himself. And as he gets confronted in his sin, in Psalm 51, I love this part of his prayer. In chapter, chapter 51, verse 12, David prays, restore to me, read it. Father, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Get me back to remembering how good it is. Get me back to living how good it is. Get me back to knowing that my position, my posture, my purpose, all these things, get me back to being flooded with that so much 
that everything I'm doing looks like you, that everything I'm saying sounds like you, that, that I, I am, I'm on fire, right? I love uh, some of the early American um, uh, uh, evangelists uh, would use this phrase, God set me on fire so the world can watch me burn. The people around us need a church like that. You need to be a church like that. Jesus is praying over us that these things would happen in our lives because he knows what happens when they don't. I believe there's two groups of people in this room that do not have the full measure of Jesus' joy within us. One is people who have been saved but have lost the joy of their salvation. Maybe your perspective has gotten fuzzy. Maybe your posture is too relaxed or spiritually lazy. Maybe you've lost the joy of being radically redeemed, saved, restored into right standing with God, or you've lost track of your purpose and continued chasing personal gain instead. Second group of people is probably this, people who are trying to find lasting joy everywhere but Jesus and are exhausted and defeated from finding no one else provides it. Jesus came to proclaim God's word, revealing a good news that isn't that this isn't all there is and that we aren't stuck in a trajectory towards life and destruction. That the death in us has been covered and paid by the death of Christ and that the life in us we only have because of Jesus who rose out of that grave. Jesus is where we go for rest. Jesus is where we go for joy. He's where we go for hope. He's where we get our new life and eternal life. It's Jesus. Some of us are living in the depletion of the goodness of God. And we need to ask and pray, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. During this next song, would you stand? Would you stand now? During this next song. Jesus inviting us into experiencing a new life in him. Imitating him as our Lord and King. I want to invite you to do this. Uh, as, As we sing... You're going to read lines. These are not lyrics to a song. These are prayers that we're praying together. And as we're praying these, as, as there's a phrase or a word, as something pops out to you as, man, this is, that's the one I need to pray. That's the one that needs to unlock something in me. This is where I'm at. This is where God needs to meet me. This is where I've got to get on my knee. This is where I need Jesus. This is where I need to find that joy. At the moment, or in the process, as you're praying this, when you start to feel God flooding that joy back into you because of who he is and what he's done, because of where you're at in light of where you used to be, because of where he sent you, as we're singing this, would you, just as an offering, would you, would you surrender yourself? Would you lift your hands? I know for some of you that's more comfortable. You, you lift your hands during Mary Had a Little Lamb. Like, you're just all about it. Some of you may have never lifted your hands in a worship song ever. And this isn't about an experience, it's not about a show, it's not because anybody's watching you, it's because before the Lord we're holding on to things and it's not allowing joy to fill into places and we need to let go so the Spirit can move into areas that we're holding back. So would you, during this song, make it as a time for you where you surrender back to the Lord and pray like David, pray along with Jesus that the word of the Lord would bring joy.
as it floods in and does its work in who we are. Father God, would you move in this room? God, would you touch our lives? Would you show us who you are? God, would we not leave here without being faced with what's in us that we don't want to see? But at the same time, when we read your word, we're faced with the gospel message that covers what we don't want to look at, the things that hold us back from you, God, that you have something to say and you've already done something about it. Father, would we see who we are? Would we see who you are? And God, would you restore to us who we are in you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.